Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I am so excited about our guest today because I saw her speak at a conference where Kristen and I were speaking, and I was so just pumped by her message by the end of her talk. We have Shannon Cohen with us today. Shannon um, has her own boutique firm, founder of and CEO of Shannon Cohen Inc., which is uh, does work with um, organizations developing emotional intelligence, which is not something that we've heard a lot about in the corporate world, but which I think is becoming huge in terms of motivating companies and workforces, equity, wellness, across all sorts of diverse sectors and industries. She also has greeting cards. She also has a book. She is just, this woman is a force to be reckoned with. So (laughs) Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you both. I am delighted to be with you and just excited about your mission and vision in the earth too. Well, thank you for that. We appreciate it. And as I said, one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on was because so much of what you said was resonating with me because of the things that we say. And I think it's really important to recognize that people can deliver the same messages in terms of, you know, the content basically, but everybody's got a different style and a way of reaching people. And some things land and some things don't always land. So the more of that kind of stuff that gets out there in the world, the better. So tell us how you landed in this space. Such a great question. My heart beats for difference makers and the difficult things that they navigate behind their titles, their smiles, their degrees, their roles, responsibilities, you name it. You know, I tend to work with organizations and with difference makers that know how to, what I affectionately say, they know how to slay even when they are not okay. They know (laughs) how to be brilliantly resilient even when they're brokenhearted. They know how to hold those dualities. And so often because they are able to deliver metrics, lead meetings, lead teams, still make PTA, cook dinner, host and serve, work in communities, serve on boards, all of these things, serve in their faith communities, that they fly under the radar, that their strength often renders them invisible. Mm. And so they are folks that can be walking wounded, even though they're wonderful and they're dynamic difference makers. They're people that we depend on. They're the glue in their homes and their marketplaces and in their communities. And so I use my gifting. Um, We use our work as a company and both the products and the services that we curate to care for those difference makers. People that are often visibly invisible because of their strength rendering them invisible. And we just don't pause to ask if they're okay. Wow. Wow. So let's talk. Did I hear greeting cards in there? 
You did. <laughs> you did. I have to tell you this, Shannon. I thought that's what I heard. And I have to tell you, my I have my my best friend since fourth grade is still my best friend, right? And she doesn't have kids. She's great with dogs. I'm terrible with dogs. I am great with kids, right? She doesn't have kids. But my kids are like, like they call her Aunt Mo. And she is like, when I can't be at a at a sporting event or something, it's Mo that goes. Mo still, my birthday, I'll get a card. Something's going challenging in my life. I'll get the funniest greeting card from her. And she sends stuff to my kids too. What is it about greeting cards? I I love it. And, and not a lot of people do it anymore, but it's, and maybe that's why it really stands out to me. It's like that. And she'll have a little handwritten, you know, thinking of you or something funny in there. How did you, is that how you feel about them too? Is that how that came to be? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I have always been a wordsmith. I've always been a words girl. I remember that as a kid, I there was a true story. The best friend that I had in my life through college, we she didn't like me in ninth grade because I used to <laughs> like the boy that was in the class after me. So I would spend the whole last 10 minutes of class like reapplying the same lip gloss <laughs> over and over. And she was just like, she just thinks she is too cute. Didn't care for me. But that year, my grandmother had passed away. Fast forward that summer, we both had jobs working in the gifted and talented program for Detroit Public Schools, and her grandmother passed away. <gasps> oh, wow. And so what do I do as this 14-year-old with this classmate I have who doesn't like me, and I know it? I wrote her a card because oh. I, I knew what it was like to lose a grandmother, and we became fast friends. I think we went from her not liking me to best friends. <laughs> I don't know what happened in between there, but a card was a catalyst. And so you fast forward several years. Um, I remember thinking I would start to hear everyone say that if you, you know, every product-based business needs a service and every service-based business needs a product. It's, it's kind of like business diversification one-on-one for any founder. And so I was at the time just starting to think through what would my product aspect of our business, our company be? And I was speaking for a national event. It was for a National Managers Association for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. I delivered a keynote to all of these folks that were in mid-level management. And then I had taken a moment, you know, that nervousness I felt at the time, took a moment in the breezeway, had been about 500 people there. And I'll never forget, there was this woman who came walking toward me and she had on red bottom shoes. She had on a St. John suit and she had money balled in the palm of her hand. And when she got to me, she said, you know, she started looking around me. She says, well, where is your book? I was like, I don't have a book. And she huffed and she said, well, where's your product? And I said, I don't, I don't have any products. I'll, you know, so she lifted me and she said, the next time that I see you, you better have a book and some products. And then she spun around on her red bottom shoes and, and walked away. <laughs> and so I remember, you know, driving home, it was about a two and a half drive home from that, that keynote. And when I got home, my husband asked me how it went. And I said, well, I need a, I need a product in a book. <laughs> and so that was the seed, this woman's discontent <laughs> with me not having a way. What I realized is that she thought, what I that what I was sharing in the keynote, she wanted something tangible that she could take home. Yeah. We keep those messages on repeat. Yeah. And so when I started to think about my personality and my acumen and what I loved, it brought me to greeting cards. I've always been that person who would buy the blank greeting card and write a book on the inside because I didn't find anything at retailers that spoke into 
what I wanted to articulate. Mm. And I found there was this gap in the marketplace to me for what I did. And so in 2016, let me think I have to do the math because of when my son was born because he was my first model. So yes, 2016 launched that aspect of our business. And now we have a licensing agreement with American Greetings. So we go into Target on seasonal mm. end caps and we have a, you know, we sell stationary greeting cards through our online store, but it was never for me meant to be just a standalone business. It was always, we've taken the messages that people have resonated with most mm-hmm. when I've gone in to do, um, whether that's consulting or speaking, and we've put them in a form where they can either share those words as inspiration and strategy in the life of another difference maker or keep it, frame it and gift it to themselves. That is a great story. It it really is a great story. And the thing that's resonating with me about that is, you know, when you talked about making the difference with the difference makers, sometimes those people are so used to going, going, going that they neglect themselves and they're not always open to other people kind of chipping away at their armor So this greeting card, this simple, beautiful little statement is a way to say this, this, this sentence kind of drives me crazy, but it works. I see you (laughs) like I, I see, I, I know that there's more to you and that it's not always as perfect as you make it seem. And I appreciate you. So that just that idea of a small little thing do people respond to that? And is that kind of your way in? You nailed it. I'm like, if we're all honest, usually most high performers and high achievers, especially female high performers that I meet, it's like, I've been her. Like I've been that person that, you know, like you mentioned, because you are the rock and you're the go-to and you are, people always think that you're cool, calm and collected that they they know, they don't know that I just cried in my car before I went in and slayed this board (laughs) meeting. They just, they would never have a clue. And so, I, you know, right, right. We, we've all been a part of that club. And so I do believe that sentiments of the soul have a way of uniquely unlocking and connecting with the soul of another. Mm. It invites us to, like you mentioned, to let down the masks or the veneers, or you said it perfectly, the armor that we've had to erect so that we can be who we are in the earth. And it, like you mentioned, it's those small touch points to say, you know, there's been some overly used terms like checking on our strong friend while, while the terminology or I see you, you know, Mm -hmm. while it may be a bit overused, the spirit of it is, is ever present and is so needed, right? We need people that don't just come to us for what the brilliance of the work of our hands, but people that care about the person themselves. Wow. You know, I'm sitting here thinking you're saying so many things that have parts of my brain firing. I grew up with not much. My my parents made sure that we got out of the part of Philly we were in to at least a spot where the education would be better. And so we, we, we didn't have much, but my dad was very big on, he would always say, you know, for Christmas, everyone, video games and all that came out. And he was like, no, 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 no. I want to do, he would say of the hand, by the hand, for the hand. He wanted us to really think about stuff. And he's very much a soul kind of guy. And, and music was very big for us. Like I'm, I look back on, on 
growing up and he really filled in all of the instead of having things it was very much a soul to soul the way you're talking he was such a giver and he was very rooted in service i mean i just i was surprised when i became an adult that every all my adult friends didn't grow up with parents that volunteered at the church and that we you know i just knew that you had to be of service to the community. And I really feel like that's why I can find so much joy, even in the hardest things now, because of having, you know, I've reached out and found soulful connections. That's kind of how Mary Fran and I got together. We just have this different way being through the hard things and connected on a different level than most people do. So your dad is dope. Like, I love that. I love that your dad taught you. To <laughs> Tell put me value. said that. He's going to be like, yes. Yes. He, like, I love that he taught you to put value in those intangible but indispensable things. And that as you got older and life was lifing, that you were <laughs> able to be brilliantly resilient because that's, I mean, if we think about everything that COVID taught us, COVID stripped away all of those traditional surfacey coping strategies and it puts you up close and personal you with you you with your immediate circle you with your inner sanctuary self and not a lot of people didn't like what they saw Mm -hmm. or didn't know how to still live very full lives with less and so I just think that's really awesome that that was something that was instilled in you in your childhood and the, the seeds that were planted there have, they now bear fruit in how you live and you lead and you love as a difference maker today. I think it's awesome. <laughs> so I'm listening to, to you talk about this, you know, this idea of making a difference on a level that we're not really used to hearing about, or we weren't prior to COVID, like in that corporate world. Have you found that that's kind of a shift that, like you said, a lot of people didn't like what they saw. And I think maybe some corporate, you know, entities realized that they weren't they weren't getting the best out of their people because they weren't recognizing the whole people. So did you find that that was kind of the case then more so now? And it's making that space for you to deliver this message. Such a great question, Mary Fran. I have found in my work, disengagement is has always been one of the most pressing human resource realities of, of systems and institutions globally. Um, disengagement impacts, you know, engagement levels impact productivity, it impacts performance, impacts culture, impacts strategy, impacts dividends, all of that. What happened though, in my estimation is that COVID took the lid off of all of that mm-hmm. because for the first time our living rooms and our dining rooms became our boardrooms mm-hmm. and those veils that we have been historically able to erect to separate my personal life from my professional life. It was now those lines were drawn in water. <laughs> they were one and the same. So we would get we would get tickled by seeing TV anchors who forgot they didn't have pants on. <laughs> They're doing the news or we would get tickled by people closing sales deals. And then you see the toddler run across, you know, you know, without a diaper. All of these things where we tried to we could no longer portray these manicured mm-hmm. perspectives about who we are and what we navigate behind mm-hmm. the veil and under the hood of our lives. And then there became a point, because you all know when COVID first started, 
we thought it was just going to be three weeks. We thought it was going to be like the swine flu or the bird flu. It would go away. And then when this started to be in every fabric of our lives, we were homeschooling and this was, you know, we're, we're still masking up and we're doing all of these things. We're sheltering in place. What I believe then happened is that people said, I don't want to go back because mm. we kept talking about, we can't wait to go back. And then we all had to say, well, wait a minute, we're glamorizing going back when back wasn't so great. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> so what if instead of looking to go back, we use like Simon Sinek says, some of the best innovation emerges out of chaos. Mm-hmm. What if we design something new? And so wellness conversations used to be, you know, only happening in those early adopter organizations mm-hmm. and entities, you know, but now we saw every entity saying that as, as long as human beings are my greatest talent source, I've got to invest in the well-being of my people. And I have to do that in a way that's beyond the traditional employee resource groups, mm-hmm. beyond these traditional tools that we've used. I have to care about their mental health and their emotional health, you know, so it's not just about giving them a discount on gym memberships or those types of things, but we have to look at whole person wellness because they're bringing whole person to work. Hmm. And those companies that have, that want to be visible, valuable, and vocal into the future have embraced that as part of their, who they are, their DNA, the fabric of who they are as, as organizations. You know, I, I really feel like, and I'm guessing you'll agree with me, as much as there there was, you know, devastation with COVID um, in so many areas, it 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 became this this opportunity of a lifetime for new, for like you're saying, innovation for people to I feel like never before have I ever seen so many people ready for a different point of view and a different perspective and a different way of doing things. It was it was uncanny to look at like we we talked well we started this <laughs> this was supposed to be an in-person global tour on sages and that was what our first event was March 7th of 22, mm-hmm. right? Or 20 when we were like why is Costco out of water? Is something happening <laughs> in the world? But like, how is that possible? So then we had to, then it was, you know, like you're saying in the chaos, we had to sit and talk on Zoom. What are we going to do now? Why not try this? Why not just try talking to people? And, and it was the, it was the first point in, in my lifetime that I saw the people were like, Hey, you're trying something new. I'm in, you know, usually it's like you, they come up with all the reasons why you shouldn't try it. This time it was like, who knows what's going to work. <laughs> so do it. It was, it was something that you just said really inspired something in me. I wrote this to myself, but I use my on my Twitter page to say this. And I, I wrote, I believe that the greatest silent dream killer is being unwilling to try. Mm-hmm. It's not trying. I believe that what happened as we navigated pandemic, that you're right, it opened up fresh possibilities because so much of life as we knew it got turned upside down. Yeah. And it created new, like we started asking new questions. We started to be open to social experimentation in ways that we haven't. I mean, who would have thought that we could talk to our doctors with telehealth, right? Who would have thought that we can launch movements with people that we don't see every day? Who would have thought that companies would be viable even as they did work from home? You know how many companies used to fight work from home, right? 
you know, all of these things. Who knew that we could do some of our best work in yoga pants and pajamas? Like we, <laughs> we learned some things. Yeah. And now it's like, how do we, and we unlearn some things. Yeah. We unlearn some things. And so I absolutely agree with you that the ability to try, we usually thought of things like, you know, experimentation, like tech startups, but we realized that all of us have capacity to try and do it differently and to explore and to uncover what's possible. Yeah. I think that you also are seeing especially within your work and this awareness on the corporate level, uh, the the opportunity and the willingness to bring subjects that were kind of, I don't want to say taboo, but pretty close to, yeah, that's not a metric. <laughs> that's not, you know, that that's not going to affect our, our bottom line, our spreadsheets, all that kind of stuff. There wasn't, there was a, there was an acknowledgement of it, maybe because it was like the politically correct thing to say, oh yeah, employee wellness and health and all, but there really weren't solid, active conversations about it until everybody started to lose their minds from COVID. And then it was like, oh, we got to do something here. You're right, Mary Fran. I mean, we would never, you know, I think about, you know, my grandfather is 91 years old, so we can still have conversations. And my grandfather, no one ever asked him, are you happy at work? Yeah. His response would have been, do they give me a check every two weeks? Then I'm happy, right? <laughs> like, you know, that would have been his response. Um, but now we're asking those questions. You know, I remember the first time I went shopping at an Amazon store, I was in California for work. And when I left, they had a little kiosk with faces, emojis. And they said, "What? how did you feel about your shopping experience? And I wow. was like, okay. And they asked this, this was like an early, you know, this was early adopter work. But now when you go to the grocery store, while you're checking out and if you put in some, you know, your phone number for loyalty, they're asking you, did you think the store was clean? They're, they understand that there is a connection between consumer emotions, engagement, brands we support, that mm. we have this whole person connection. Um, there's a whole ecosystem that's connected to what brings us joy and where we shop, where we go, where we don't go. All of that is intrinsically connected. And so I believe that the organizations that are recognizing that it's not just our, my external stakeholders, but the folks that give their time, talent, treasure to this mission and vision, that if we aren't keeping the pulse on wellness at work, joy at work, then we're going to see high turnover and turnover is costly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is, it does impact the bottom line. It impacts the bottom line. Huge. One thing I wanted to come back to is when you were talking about, you know, opportunity in chaos and, and those kinds of things, what I have realized that we have lived and breathed here at, especially at brilliantly resilient, the company, as we've moved forward through COVID I now look at when I am at my most frustrated with something going on, and if I feel like I'm in the most chaos, the beauty moment is when I take that deep breath and say, oh, where is the lesson? Where is the opportunity? What is happening here that I now get to grow from it? And I tell you, Shannon, with 100% certainty, every single time, it's the starting point of, of some kind of pivot or some major lesson that I needed to learn. And when we when we talk about the brilliantly resilient lens, that's what it is. Looking through a brilliantly resilient lens instead of, oh, Kristen's plan for her life lens, you know, my control freak lens. Looking at it with that, and it's and I've said to people, it's still the exact same 
sucker punch or moment of chaos that I can't control. But when you just, it's just that different perspective and finding that little lane that says, oh, here's where you're going to go with that. Mm-hmm. Th- that is the biggest lesson that I've gotten out of COVID and on this journey with the company. That's a powerful lesson. When you were talking, it reminded me I'm in a season right now in my life and my leadership where um, I'm reminded again that construction is messy. <laughs> you all are, you know, you've built a movement, you've built a brand, you're building a company and you're, you're transforming lives as you all go, as you keep putting your creativity out into the world with brilliantly resilient and that process of seeding and scaffolding and building it's messy. It's not just messy for organizations. It's messy in the life of the founder of the hope dealer of the difference maker themselves. And you're right. It's about finding the wisdom in the messiness, finding the gratitude in the messiness, giving myself permission that what I'm doing by design should be messy, mm. right? And I think we lose that sometimes when we we start to prioritize perfection. Mm. Well, and I think that's a result yeah. of what we see. You know, what's what's people are now becoming acutely aware of the fact that what you see on Instagram, this place, that place, it's it's the 85th of the pictures that the person took to try to make everything look perfect because it isn't. And people are more drawn to those behind the scenes things where they see, well, that's a train wreck. You know, this is the picture's perfect. And then they turn the camera around and they show people the mess that's all around them. And that's the kind of thing that resonates. So I guess there's two things that I want to do. I want to talk about your book before mm-hmm. we before we have to go anywhere because I love the title of it. But is there a um I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, the emotion that is attached to all of these things that we're that we're talking about. Are we now in a place where we're recognizing that that emotion, first of all, it does have to be managed because that's the place where you can get lost. You can get lost in feeding the raw emotion. So what then is the trick for, or the strategy, I should say, for taking that emotion and seeing where it's fitting into that chaos and then maybe finding a way to use that or at least not let it derail you towards what Kristen said, finding that way to move. Wonderful question, Mary Fran. Usually the way I is, I like to describe it this way. Emotions are indicators, right? Like we're all using a device, we're using computers and our computers are built in with sensors to let us know when it's on low battery. When our computers are on low battery, it's telling us that if you want me to operate optimally, You need to provide some supports to me so that I can operate optimally. If we see that red come up with that low battery, we don't shame our computers. We don't say, bad computer, how dare you get low? I have 50 other emails to send. Shit on you. We don't. We treat it as an indicator. Thank you for helping me to prevent a complete shutdown by letting me know that you need some attention. So just imagine if we were to give these human vessels that do more work in a day than these computers, that same grace and care to say that my emotions are indicators. They are not inconveniences. They are indicators. They are letting me know that if you want me to operate optimally, you need to address the fact that I feel this. Hmm. Wow. I love, I love too. Right? 
And then the question that we ask ourselves, so really how are you is an assessment question. It's not a pleasantry, even though we use it as a pleasantry, but how are you as a, as a battery check? It's an indicator check. And then I tell folks that the next question, the second question that we should ask ourselves is what do I need in order to be well? Because often the problem and the solution lie within the same place. Wow. I feel so much better. <laughs> That's amazing. That really, you know, we've talked so much on on this show about the element of shame and 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 the beauty of grace and how it's so much of, of it is shame. Like, you know, why am I feeling this way? I'm, I'm you know, like you're running on these emotions. And instead of saying, oh, wait a minute. Now, when I think about it as what is that indicating? What do I need to think about? It just removes that shame, which takes it. Then it's so much faster to get to the root cause. Cause you're not hiding from anything. You're just, oh my, Shannon, that's yeah. life-changing for my brain. Not good or bad. We give emotions. We don't give good or bad to any other indicators, any other sensors in our lives. We understand that the sensors are there to protect us. Yeah. They're prevention strategies. And so our emotions are there to alert us. They're alerts that something is going on within this human system that needs some attention. Now we don't give into everything, but we it's an assessment tool that I need to assess what do I need in order to be well? Mm. Wow. I am so excited about this talk. I'm going to go change my whole life after this. <laughs> no, you know what I'm envisioning? Because I'm thinking, wow, you know, as a parent, I'm thinking about my three kids and how you can really, you know, you know, bring someone down from a from a, a spiral. <laughs> I got to tell you, Shannon, though, Mary Fran is about to spend four days with with little grandkids. I think I'll just keep texting her. Remember, they're indicators. Your emotions are indicators. <laughs> you said to her, I'm going to need maybe a big bottle of wine to help this indicator to get back on track after this or some chocolate or I don't know, something to get back on bad track. times for everybody. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, exactly. I'm listening to what, what Kristen is saying and I'm thinking about kids if we can let our kids know that piece of information, yeah. especially when their brains are ping-ponging all over the place when they're adolescents and trying to figure out life, that this is an indicator that something is not right for you. That is so powerful. I love that. Mm -hmm. It's critical, especially if you have children that are an empath. Like I'm an empath and no one taught me how to be a healthy empath. I just knew I would have big feelings about things. And those big feelings were sometimes treated as a deficit. And what I've learned is that's part of my superpowers. That's part of mm -hmm. my competitive advantage. We need feelers in the earth, but mm -hmm. we also need nobody ever you know, it was kind of like, don't be a crybaby or don't be, you know, we always used to, we used to treat emotions as if it was, you know, I remember being told and socialized, there was no place in business for emotions. That's a lie, right? Yeah. Now we're studying consumer emotions because it's <laughs> business, right? And so I think, especially if you have empathic children, children, that, and really most children are empaths because they haven't had the battle scars that come with growing up and, and, you know, those things, but um, I definitely think that this is one of the ways that we teach our children how to be healthy, happy, and whole. I got I got to put you in touch with my middle one and her kids because you are just you are speaking their language. I'm telling you right now. So I want to jump to "It's Normal to Shake as You Soar," the title of your book. I when I read that, I was like, like my brain just went. <laughs> yeah. 
Because we all think that when we reach this point where, you know, we're writing the book or we're doing the speaking or all this other stuff that we are just, we got it all together. And meanwhile, Kristen knows I'm like this. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. We have to go out and talk again. Oh my God. Oh my, it's impossible to, I shouldn't say impossible, but it's really challenging if that's the way you're hardwired to get beyond that and recognize, you know what, it's okay to still be nervous. Just go out and do your best, deliver your message and, and not think that you, that you're always falling short because you're a nervous wreck. That's right. (laughs) Turbulence is part of the process of, of greatness. It's part of the process of elevation. We understand that if you've ever been on a plane, you understand that, you know, that, that takeoff is usually not seamless. Or, yeah. you know, and so that's that's part of that elevation process. We expect it when it comes to that, but we don't expect it in, in terms of us elevating as human beings. And so that book is really a culmination of inspiration and strategy that I wrote to myself over the course of a year of growing up an idea from the back of a napkin to now it's a global movement, which is the Rockstar Woman movement that I founded four years ago. And so it's really designed to be a, you know, a purse or a laptop book. It's six by six intentionally, because sometimes the best pep talks we give ourselves are in the shower, in the bathroom, in the car, you know, you know, in these like quick moments where I only have 15 minutes or less. And I need to give myself a quick pep, a quick pep talk before I go into a space. Um, it's really what it's designed to be. It's a book of pep talks for difference makers, folks that are willing to try like we talked about earlier i love it that on themselves tell us real quick about rockstar women that's the movement right it is Kristen. it is um it started on the back of a napkin four years ago i and really out of places of frustration i wanted to i was growing frustrated going to events that were targeting high performers female high performers and high achievers and i would go to these events and they would be boring to say that. They were boring. <laughs> the gifts were boring. I'm like, I don't need another silicone stress ball. I mean, I was often the only, so I was the only, you know, I got tired of going to networking events and being the only woman or the only black woman or only person of color. I'm like, why can't there be networking events that are fun where the supply chain, I see myself and I see my community. If it's targeting women, women are part of that procurement process where the swag is cool. I want to use it long after the event. And when I walk into the room, that it looks like my community. And so I decided to build what I saw in my soul. And wow. that was four years ago. And it has grown exponentially, literally, even in the midst of pandemic. So we just wrapped up this year's um, year four and had nearly 1,000 women spanning 25 states and three countries, which was amazing. And 2023 will be a milestone year. It's year five. So we know we have outgrown being a one day experience. So I do. I have this. You can't see it. I have this virtual invisible construction hat on because we are reconstructing and reimagining with our community at the center, what's next for us. So yeah, I am and I am fully in it's normal to shake as you soar yet again. I love it. That's I love that that you say that the events <laughs> are boring. I I'm in the I'm a big advocate in the blind community. My two sons are blind. And I just had our global summit and I I say, you know, uh, the the blindness stuff is boring. We're not boring. (laughs) No one really laughs out loud like I do when we talk about blindness, but I sure do because there's a heck of a lot of fun to be had. And I and I'm sure that, you know, from I could tell the way you light up when you talk about it, 
you get so much more out of it and retain more and grow more when you have every emotion through. I mean, we acknowledge the fear and and all of the things, but we live so much because then that's where all the growing happens. Yes. And strong women need to have fun. Like fun and achievement should not be like kryptonite and you know, it should not be the antithesis of one another. They should blend. If anybody needs to have fun and have spaces where it's okay, you know, we don't, I, one of the things I'm most proud of at with Rockstar Woman is we don't do stuffy. We do unforgettable. We don't do mm. stuffy because, and I, and they're, let's be honest, some people like stuffy. They want robber's rules and everything. Like they yeah. want stuffy and that's okay, but that's not us. You know, we create spaces of psychological safety where people get to just be and be in community and deep in connective tissue with other people. And there's magic to that. So I am super excited. I'm like low key, would love to have both of you join us for 2023. It's always the fourth Sunday in September, but it is a dynamic time of pouring into women who every single day use their lives and their gifts to be agents of healing architects of healing and transformational in every every place that they're planted. I love it. That's a tribe well, that we want to be in. Exactly. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, as I, as I said, the moment I saw you and you started to speak and I listened to you, I thought we are, there's some kind of soul connection here. Speaking of soul connections, because you said so many of the things that resonate with us in slightly different ways that that just showed me a couple of things. There are different ways to deliver messages and those kinds of things are important. We mm -hmm. have to talk about those kinds of things, that whole idea of the whole person, bringing the whole person to work and acknowledging that. So I'm just so beyond thrilled that you joined us today. And I want you to tell everybody where they can find, first of all, look out for those cards and where <laughs> they can find you and your book and, and more of Shannon Cohen Wisdom. Yes, the the gateway to it all is simply my name.com. So shannoncohen.com. I just really want to thank both of you. I have been so inspired by both of your stories. I truly believe that one of the best gifts another woman can give you is the benefit of her wisdom without the pain. And when I think about brilliantly resilient, that is exactly what you're doing. And I it has it, I know I'm not alone. There are probably a lot of folks that are within your community that are ever grateful. Um, that you are using what you've been through to uplift so many. So just thank you. We appreciate oh. that. We had a lot of other names in, in mind and none of them were printable. So we decided to go with Brilliantly Resilient. After everything we were through, we were like, we could call this a yeah. lot of stuff, but let's stick with Brilliantly Resilient. <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. I love it. I love thank it. Thank you, Shannon. You have been an absolute joy. I'm so happy that we connected. I'm going to turn it over to Kristen. Oh, thank you so much, Shannon. This is just, I got to tell you, it's the dreariest day here in Philly and I am smiling like the sun is out. This has been such an, a time this afternoon. Thanks so much for being here. And all of you can, we will, we will see Shannon in the brilliance bit coming up once our episode airs. If you don't receive the brilliance bit to your email inbox yet, seriously, what are you doing with your life? Get to the website and sign up because it is a, look, it's us. It is less than one minute to read this thing. There is no more time invested and it keeps you in that mindset with the Brilliantly Resilient Lens. So go to brilliantlyresilient.net, sign up for that and we'll see y'all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, 
Rise and reveal your brilliance.